0: Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is a nationally known gerontologist, a graduate of not only Trinity University, but a master's degree from the University, University of the Incarnate current current word. word. Let's yeah, say was, it together. I was thinking of O-L-L-U, but that's not where you went. That's not. University of the Incarnate Word in, in in gerontology. It's pretty cool. She also serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and a past chair and a member of the board of the National... Council on Aging,
1: which makes it makes me sound like I've been doing this quite a while, which I guess I have.
0: Only a few months, right? A little bit. Well, one of the things we're going to talk about in just a couple of moments is uh, with our guest Elizabeth White, someone you heard speak uh, down in South Carolina. Uh,
1: Exactly, and Elizabeth White, I think, has a message of caution uh, for all of us. Uh, When I think of Elizabeth White. Uh, and some of her struggles, financial struggles, is what she's going to talk about. I think that um, a lot of caregivers put themselves in harm's way because so many of us don't really think about the consequences of becoming a caregiver. We're the accidental caregiver. We do it out of so much love. Um, and, and hers is not a caregiving story, but we do. We put ourselves in financial harm's way uh, when we quit our jobs to take up caregiving. Well, and, huge loss of income. And, and whatever the cause of a loss of income, uh, you know, there are consequences to that.
0: Then her book, 55 Unemployed and Faking It, you're going to want to listen to Elizabeth White coming up in a few minutes on Caregiver SOS On Air. Uh, another issue, Carol Zernio, that uh, you got some information on. Uh, What's the number one way to prevent dementia? And me being a smart tuchus, I said, die young.
1: Well, you know, you would be right. It was a smart answer um, because, obviously, Alzheimer's, dementia, the risk, it goes up with age. So the longer you live, uh, the greater the risk. risk. It used to be 20% for over 60, uh, age 60, and 40% of folks over the age of 80 had dementia. I saw some new figures that reduced that. Um, but because there's so many more boomers aging, the absolute numbers of people that have dementia is actually increasing exponentially huge, huge. it is it you know you're someday you're going to be all the news that you listen to now you're going to hear this story of this wave of Alzheimer's and all the people in society who cannot function because of Alzheimer's and what a humongous problem it is um, that's coming but uh I, we saw this story um, out of Next Avenue, the number one way to prevent dementia, and it's not what you think because you're probably thinking quit smoking, keep your blood pressure under control, what's good for your heart's good for your head, all of that's true. But the number one way, and this comes out of a global conference looking across the world and all the different cultures, um, is hearing loss. No. Midlife hearing loss accounts for 9%... Um, risk of dementia across global populations, it is the single biggest risk factor why? so that's that's the fascinating question is we're, and we're not really sure yet, but it's an important question to ask. So um, if you think about hearing loss, you know the first thing that you do when you, you don't hear well, is you tend to become less engaged in conversation. So you tend to become socially isolated or you are socially isolated because other people don't want to talk to you because you keep saying, what, what, and you don't understand. Um, You know, this happened to my grandmother. She had significant hearing loss after a stroke and her friends didn't want to be around her after that it was too difficult to communicate and we just don't have much sympathy for people who lose their hearing so there's we know social isolation is very bad for you there's also a thought that you you're straining so hard to hear all of the time that there's something about all of that brain activity and all that work that could be related to cognitive decline um, so you know, they, we, talk about, we could talk about hearing aids for folks in midlife, but hearing aids are incredibly expensive, and they don't always work well. So people that have hearing aids probably have more money. They're probably higher socioeconomic status anyway. So that's not you, you know going to tell us. So we just look at the people with hearing aids. Um, so we're, I, I don't have an answer for you. But what I can tell you is that if you notice hearing loss in middle age, You know, you do want to get it checked out. You know, if you do have a hearing aid and you do keep engaged in in social activity and conversation and you have a rich life, that does reduce the risk of dementia. That we know. Um, And we're going to have to wait for some of the rest of the science to catch up.
0: So all that broccoli I eat?
1: Well, who were we talking to that you said that you didn't have was, to drink? It was a researcher. Bro- oh, the researcher, UT that's Health. right. From UT, Dr. Shashadri. She was fabulous. Dr. Shashadri from um, University of Texas, uh, UT Health here in San Antonio, a, a renowned Alzheimer's researcher, told you the broccoli was not going to work.
0: She said that. She did. <laughs> she did say that. Well, I'm still hedging my bets.
1: Well, so get your hearing checked. Go ahead and eat the She told you to eat the broccoli if you think it makes <laughs> it, you feel better.
0: Hearing, interesting. Hearing, wow.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. It is the most difficult, and even if without the dementia piece, hearing loss is the single uh, worst uh, loss you face in later life. Because people are not sympathetic with hearing loss, it's actually worse than losing your sight. That's depressing. It's something to keep in mind whenever you're getting angry with someone who can't hear well.
0: That's true. I little, have to tell my wife a little that.
1: sympathy. Little sympathy.
0: Let's talk about broken heart syndrome.
1: Well, you know, it sounds like something that's not real. Broken heart syndrome, um, when we think about that, it's when, when somebody, a couple's been married for years and years and years, and one died, and the next one dies right after. Or like with Carrie Fisher and her mother, Debbie Reynolds. Carrie Fisher died, and her mother died like a day later. Um, broken heart syndrome. And it turns out that it's, that it's a real thing.
0: So we just saw with uh, he didn't die, but uh, George H.W. Bush, after Barbara Bush died, uh, within minutes of that funeral, uh, became gravely ill and hospitalized.
1: Well, they're saying that your heart can become enlarged. Your immune system absolutely tanks. um, And so you can get life threatening infections from it. uh, And so it's it's a real response. um, And. If you're an older person between 1910 and 1930, uh, widowed men have a 30% increase in mortality wow. after their wives die. I, I, I don't, there's no numbers in this particular article, um, whether men or women, but just anecdotally, I think in my years of aging, uh, we often see that a man who does lose his wife, you know, they either get remarried or they die. It, all, you know, they start dating, they get involved in other relationships, or they die. And there doesn't seem to be a lot in between, there's no and way there's between. no basis in science in that. But that's what it seems like. You know, we're talking with different couples.
0: She's Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9:30 a.m. The answer. And if you just joined us, I want to tell you that Elizabeth White will be on with us in a couple of moments, uh, talking about her book "55 Unemployed and Faking It," and that's uh, and
1: faking uh, normal,
0: faking normal,
1: normal, faking normal.
0: Up next. Food labels—the ones to ignore and the ones to look at—and it's not as easy as one might think.
1: Well, this is again from the New York Times because they, they you know, all of us go in. We think we think we know what we're buying, right? We we go into the grocery store and we see the word "natural," and we automatically assume that that must be must be good. Better. It must be better for us, um, you know. But what they're saying is that doesn't really mean anything. Superfood doesn't really mean anything. Uh, you know, a blueberry is, is a blueberry and you could say it's super. It's you know, we, we have to be careful because they are trying to sell us something <laughs> don't forget that. at the grocery store. And so rather than looking at those kinds of words, super, um, we really need to look at the sodium and the salt uh, the sodium and the sugar in it are, are probably the two things we should definitely pay attention to. So we don't want to get more than 24 grams of sugar a day, so no, really 10 grams of sugar, added sugar, or 20% of our daily value of sodium. So I do look at the sodium, because sodium is crazy Salt. high. That's what makes that food taste good. And it's got like 900 milligrams. It'll say 38% of your sodium for the day. You want to look for something that's 20% of your sodium, and that's hard to do. Just play that game, uh, and you'll find that you have to change the way you shop.
0: I got suckered into labeling the other day. We were at Trader Joe's, and I saw a great low-cal, low-calorie, low-carb, no-sugar snack. And it was teriyaki seaweed, roasted.
1: And how much was the sodium?
0: Sodium was high.
1: I bet it was. It was seaweed.
0: I bought it anyhow, and guess what? To me, tasted awful. Terrible. <laughs> tasted awful. <laughs>
1: Well, not that, but not everything that's good for you tastes awful, but I can, yeah. That's, it's probably good for you. Yeah, it probably is. And if I gave else, my uh,
0: three kids a taste, and it was... And they decided it was awful, too? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Well, you know, the other word you have to watch for is organic. That simply means that they use naturally occurring compounds to keep the pests away, as opposed to the industrial pesticides. But, you know, we get these E. coli breakouts sometimes with some right. of the organic food. It's because one of the n- natural... Uh, things to keep the bugs away with the manure and other things. So you you have to be careful with the organic. What you really want to look at is, you know, you want to choose wisely. So you want organic um, when you have something you're going to eat the whole thing. Like a banana, you peel the skin. So bananas are safe. You can get those at any grocery store. That's great. But a strawberry will absorb all those pesticides. So the more you eat of a particular fruit or vegetable, the more you need to have something that doesn't absorb the chemicals. Um, but always wash it. I mean, my son is a doctor and he has me washing everything. He talks about, you know, people, he works in the emergency room and, and some of these people that get food poisoning. So if it is organic, even and that's, you know, still wash it. You need to wash out the offside, outside of your fruit.
0: Last up, and this is fascinating to me the surprising truth about how people spend. In retirement.
1: Well, this is from our friend Richard Eisenberg at um, Next Avenue, who talks about financial issues. And for those people who have retirement savings, which is only about one-third of the people, what they found is that they people don't spend their retirement savings. So um, he was looking at the folks that had some money, and of the people that had the most money, they only spent 12% of their retirement funds. You
0: can't take it with you.
1: Well, but they're so concerned about those health care costs right. um, and housing costs that retirees are very, very thrifty. That's probably how they got the retirement savings in the first place is they were thrifty. And they just continue doing that. But it's really a fear factor um, that keeps people wow. from spending. Uh, and so you know, and, and especially today's retirees, they a lot of their parents lived through the Great Depression. That's true. And so you, you know, I don't think that will be the same because the group coming up, and we're we're going to be talking to Elizabeth White next about savings and retirement. A lot, the, a lot has changed. We don't get that guaranteed pension anymore. No, we don't. That we used to get, we and do so not. future retirees will have a different story.
0: Elizabeth White up next. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zernial on Caregiver SOS on air. At 9.30 a.m., the answer. We know caregiving is stressful, challenging, often frustrating, but it can be rewarding. Learn about caregiving while helping yourself at the 2018 San Antonio Caregiver Summit, Navigating the Journey, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Speakers include New York Times reporter John Leland, author of Happiness is a Choice You Make, and Dr. Sharon Lewis, recognized expert on caregiving issues and developer of the Stress Busting Program. The conference also includes a panel of experts focusing on navigating the end of life journey. The summit is on November 1st, 2018, 30 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Whitley Theological Center, 285 Oblate Drive. Social work and nursing CEUs are available. Free respite care also available for up to 20 spots. The event is free, including lunch, but pre-registration is required online at caregiversos.org or call 866-390-6491, 866-390-6491. Well, we are thrilled to welcome to our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline a young woman who has written a book called 55 Unemployed and Faking Normal. She has an incredible story, which we will uh, talk with her about in just a couple of moments. And, and and we have a lot of guests on who our co-host, Carol Zernial knows or has had exposure to. This is the first one, Carol, where you were so excited. You said to me, this is a fabulous story.
1: I, I, I'm so pleased Elizabeth White is here with us to share her story because when, as she was talking, you know, she's not talking specifically about caregivers, but I thought of all of the caregivers who would identify with her story. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: No, thank you for having me. Well,
1: let me
0: share some of your background with our listeners. She has a uh, BS degree in political science from Oberlin College, a fabulous liberal arts institution in Ohio. She also has a master's in international studies from Johns Hopkins University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Uh, Obviously, you are an overachiever.
2: Uh, You could say that,
1: yes. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, so, so tell us a little bit about what you shared, you know, in, in Boston, I'm sorry, in Boston, in Charleston, um, 55 unemployed and faking normal. So what is that about?
2: So the way this started was um, I started to notice when I was in my mid-50s that my phone wasn't ringing anymore, that I wasn't getting the traction in terms of interviews that I was used to getting. And I started to notice, and I started to have some financial problems around that because I had been uh, a consultant, doing really well, and then when the recession hit in 2009, lost uh, two really good assignments I had. So suddenly I'm at zero in my you know mid-50s. What I noticed at the same time, friends of mine who used to be doing well but now i could sense that they were struggling so they would decline an invitation or uh you know i would accept an invitation but when i got to the place maybe i just would get an hors d'oeuvre or a starter or i wouldn't get you know a glass of wine i'd get a glass of water and you'd see women who normally were dressed a certain way, going long between appointments. So we started to, because women, we do talk. We started to speak candidly about what was happening to us. And these were women who had had good jobs, uh, some career choice, and all of a sudden were looking at downward mobility. And these are women who are middle class, sometimes upper middle class facing this. So I wrote an essay that talked about what does it feel like to land here when this was not your plan A, and I it made its way to the PBS Facebook page, and in a very short time, like three days, it had 11,000 likes and over a thousand comments. Wow. And the comments were this is my sister, this is my husband, this is my brother, this is me, why is no one talking about this? So I have the background to look at the data, and when I looked at the data, I was astonished at what I was seeing. What what were you seeing? So I started to see that nearly a, a third of Americans, 55 to 64, had not saved a dime, and that among those who had saved, the median value of that retirement account was something like $104,000. $104,000 sounds better than zero until you think about if you are in your early 60s, late 50s, you're going to live, if you're in good health, another 30 years. And when you look at it that way, 104000 is not nearly enough. So, and when you say that's the median, that means half, or there or below so these are, are are big numbers in terms of americans who are struggling financially and we're not having this conversation and that's why faking normal is in my title there's a lot of uh shame and embarrassment associated with this because we're not telling the truth about what's. Actually, happening to us. So, for example, we see glowing economic debt, a 3.8% unemployment rate. We see gains in the stock market. What we don't talk about is uh, there's a, um, uh, a, a statistic that I think is very powerful that United Way developed, and it's called ALICE. And it's asset-limited. ALICE stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. And these are the millions of Americans who are working but are barely able to put a budget together to live. And there are 51 million households that meet that ALICE threshold or below. Truly hand-to-mouth. So hand-to-mouth, struggling, working,
1: Because the asset limited means you have no cushion. So that that means, so yeah, the asset limited, it just means that uh, if your car breaks down or an unexpected medical bill, any type of normal, you know, urgent situation can put you over the edge.
0: Or if you're forced into caregiving because your spouse or your mom or your dad need help and 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 you lose that income.
2: You're in big trouble. So asset-limited, then income-constrained. You're not making a lot of money, but you're working. So that's the employed part. So on Alice Household, this asset-limited income-constrained is um, 51,000 households, or 43% of the population. And that's a lot of people. So I say to people... Uh, when I looked at the data of what's happening to older Americans, even if it's not happening to you, it's happening to so many people, you know someone who's in this category. And again, the faking normal is we are taught not to talk about our financial struggles, our financial woes, so we don't talk about it. That leaves us with the impression that we think our neighbors are doing much better than they're actually doing. And when we don't talk about it, we then do the, the takes start running in our minds of blame and shame. And so what people started writing me when I came out of the closet on this is, uh, you know, there were spouses, uh, men actually, who were hiding this from their families. There were, um, uh, is a lot of despair around not knowing how one was going to survive when you had such a long runway in terms of the years that you were going to live. So, my goal in writing this book is to start this conversation. So, I had I, I wrote the book. Um, and I called for, at the end of each chapter, I talk about resilient circle reflection question. Because what saved me here, having a small group of friends, uh, my mother actually died in March of this year, but she was part of the circle when she was living, that I could go to and tell the truth about what I was going through talk about the unbeautiful, and that helped me to sort of get some grounding that allowed me to kind of look at my options and feel that I had the wherewithal to explore different possibilities. Now hold that thought if for just a minute.
0: And let me remind folks who may have just joined us. Uh, this is Caregiver SOS on Air with Ron Aaron and Carol Zernial, And we're listening and talking with Elizabeth White, uh, author of a powerful book, 55, Unemployed and Faking Normal. So then what happened? Yeah. You, you've got the group, you're talking to them. It, it at least lets you vent your own situation. Uh, how did that help turn your life around?
2: One of the things, so let's say you get an interview, you, you know, beat the odds finally of these, you know, dozens, if not more, uh, online applications that you're applying to, they actually call you in. If you are in a place of such despair, if you are feeling like you are circling the drain, if you're not talking to anybody, not sharing what you're going through, when you go to that interview, you're going to leak. I call it leaking. That person talking to you is not going to know exactly why they don't want you in their environment, but they're going to see that you are so full up with what has been happening to you that they're not going to see you get a, something that says you're not a good fit.
1: Probably, if, probably an air of desperation.
2: Right. There'll be something about... So I found that by having a place... We used Mm -hmm. to play... um, I had this uh, one friend. We'd play this game called Top This. So I might say to her, you know, my phone's about to be turned off if I don't, you know, get this money together to pay the bill. She'd say, well, my electricity's going to be turned off. And she would win. And people say, that's that's how I a game. I said, what that did is... It got me to understand I'm not the only one going through this. And to be able to talk to her, I remember she and I, when I was like in the deep mist of this, we must have borrowed the same $300 back and forth a dozen times. When she had money, I had money, and vice versa. What she helped me with was when then there were opportunities For me to, because I throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall, and I'd say about a third of it sticks. So just, um, you know, to call people, exploring, um, you know, opportunities, that kind of thing, it couldn't happen if I just felt like I wanted to be in my bed and pull the covers over my head. Now we're
0: going to come right back to you. Don't go anywhere. This is an incredible story. talking with Elizabeth White, who is the author of Unemployed and Faking Normal, 55 Unemployed and Faking Normal. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernil. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. (music) What a story. Elizabeth White is with us talking about uh, going through a period of time when uh, there just wasn't any money coming into her household, uh, as there had been before, and how she dealt with it, and how she has been able to turn it into uh, a consulting business and uh, 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 speaking opportunities. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. So, Elizabeth, uh, listening to you, th- this is really depressing.
2: So here's, here's what I say. I don't stand in the book or really in my life in a place of doom and gloom that it's been uh, quite an exercise for me. So I've had to, I talk about getting off my throat. I've had to, I was uh, uh, at a meeting recently that I needed to go to in New York, and I took the bus. And I have had the background, I've flown first class before, I've flown Concord before. I put my behind on that bus. I've had to take a roommate at one time. I did not want a roommate, but at some point, uh, some summers ago, that was the only way I could uh, make ends meet. So getting off the throne, particularly if you're used to living a certain way, uh, you've got to make that mindset shift to what the new reality is. So, Hello? We're here. We're
0: still here. We're We're listening.
2: Oh okay, so um, <laughs> I have I talk about what does it take to have a richly textured life on a modest income? Can you have a richly textured and connected life on a modest income, and what does that look like?
0: And what do you mean by so richly? What do you mean by richly textured?
2: Well, I mean, um, and it will differ from person to person. So I, I um, gave the example of I had a dear friend who was getting married for the first time at 50, and she was having a, a destination wedding in Savannah, and I didn't have the money to fly there, and I didn't have the money for a dress. And I, uh, another friend of mine, a normal friend who had a jalopy, But we figured we took it to the mechanic, and they said it would make it. We took uh, my friend and her lovely daughter. We drove to uh, Savannah. We didn't stay in the destination hotel, which was, you know, with tax, $400 a night. We stayed in this hotel. It wasn't, uh, you know, a Motel 6, but it wasn't a Holiday Inn either. And I met a good friend of mine was in town from Ghana. We didn't, we didn't go to brunch. We met for a $5 cup of coffee. We parked there for a couple hours. It was still wonderful seeing her. I shopped in my closet. I didn't go buy a dress. And I was able to be there for a friend who's important to me at this wedding that was really important to her. So a textured life is, what is really important? What was important to me in that situation was being at her wedding. So I had to figure out, how do I do that in a way that's affordable to me? So at the root of this is really understanding what matters to you. And don't say things like walking on the beach if you never walk on the beach. What really matters to you? And you have to do some digging To know now, what does it take for you to feel grounded and content? And so for me, I know uh, I like good eating. I'm staying with some friends now, and we could, uh, they're not in the faking normal category. I I live much more modestly than they live. And so we did a lot of, while I'm here with them, cooking at home so it would be, you know, not so expensive for me. I have friends that we might divide an entree in half, but somebody else might want to buy, I think, you know, some, you know, fancy weed whacker because gardening is what is the thing that gives them joy. So you have to really, it's figuring out um, what do you need feel grounded, and are there alternative ways you can go about getting those things in your life? And we're in an interesting um, time here. I mean, I um, right now, marketers don't really look at people, you know, our age and think of opportunity. But there really is an opportunity. You know, I'd love to see IKEA, for example. IKEA does, um, you see, all kinds of rooms they do geared to sort of college students, you know, kind of this time of year of how a college student could decorate a small space. They've got hidden storage and all of that. What if IKEA or companies like that started designing smaller space environments for older adults. So ditch the bunk beds. We need comfort height seating. And, the, and creating an environment that might be smaller than what we're used to, but a place that we could afford and live in with dignity. That's why in my book there are two things I focus on. I focus on income and I focus on housing because so many people told me If they could just get the housing thing together, they could, you know, extreme coupon it the rest of the way. And our zoning and building codes right now and the whole sort of affordable housing um, options are not there by any stretch for the number of people who actually need to consider that to be able to live in in a dignified way.
0: She's Elizabeth White. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernial. You've just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Her book, 55 and Unemployed and Faking It. Uh, If folks wanted to get a hold of your book, how do they do that?
2: Uh, They can go on Amazon. It's there both as a Kindle and as a, a, a paperback. Oh, cool.
1: Well, be tell us a little bit about, um, you know, in, in when you found yourself in a situation, not you know, with the resources that you wanted. Um, I think you. I heard you mention that maybe people are thinking that you bought too much Starbucks, that you did something wrong. But we have this huge population of boomers that have not. You know, with the change in retirement mechanisms and and the differences in savings, you know, you you are you are one of many, many, many. This is the wave that's coming. Um, and so, do you have recommendations for those of us who advocate uh, for pe- for boomers and seniors and, and and caregivers? You know, what do what can we do? Because um, you are talking on a personal level. What else do we need to support folks with dignity and and the housings?
2: So um, the systemic piece of this, I think, is a really important piece. And this is not to say that any one of us could not have saved more. If you look through anybody's life, you're going to see all kinds of examples of where they wasted money on something or the other, in your opinion. The issue here is we're talking about some systemic things that are happening we're talking about the shift from pensions to 401Ks, where we were expecting Americans to save over 40 years for their own retirement. That has not been a successful experiment. and just has not been. And experts now in the financial world have acknowledged this, and this is where we've landed. When we look at... Um, the increase in housing, in the housing market. We look at uh, flat and falling wages. We look at escalating uh, medical care costs. When we look at what's gonna happen to our young people in terms of uh, education debt. These are systemic things that don't have to do with all that bottled water you drank. And as long as we stand only in this place of shame and blame. It's not that, you know, as I say, people can't make better decisions. But when we think that is primarily why people have landed here, and then we have punishing policies that shame and blame people further, then we are dooming, especially women, because women live longer, to uh, poverty. And so I think that one of the things that I'm hoping to do with the book and these kinds of uh, interviews is to start another conversation. And this is really a conversation now about values. This is a conversation about how older Americans are going to be treated. And the numbers are gonna get really big because we're living longer. Uh, you know, I was reading recently that half the ten-year-olds today are going to live till a hundred. So we're we're in a, a new period of uh, where the lifespan is going to be very different than what it has been traditionally. You know, Carol shared that, with
0: uh, some of our listeners not too long ago. She'd been uh, at a conference, I think, in San Francisco, where one of the speakers said. I'm looking out at this audience, and one of you or more will live to 150.
1: You know, it's staggering. Which is a scary thought, It's actually. very it's scary. scary. If you thought you, you, know, you had to have enough money or, or work from 100 to 150.
0: Yeah, none of us will. I'll never retire. I'll be the oldest right. working guy at the Walmart door.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so we need a different conversation, and we need... Um, I think to uh, start putting pressure on our legislators, uh, we need to uh, actually even, uh, I think, start to think about pressuring uh, corporations who are susceptible to uh, consumer pressure, because the corporations actually, um, you know, are the ones who are financing some of our uh, uh, legislators. And so uh, their priorities are often taking precedence over the people's priorities. You know, so we um, have the numbers to start to shift this, but it's going to, I think, initially start with some awareness of what the problem is. If people are so uh, embarrassed, shaming blaming each other, kind of all of this, then uh, the uh, sort of strategy does not get to some of the systemic systemic kinds of questions that we should be asking. But I think we really are now, how are we going to uh, value older people? It's not like in... um, in uh, 1935, when, uh, with the uh, introduction of Social Security, you know, a person was going to live probably till 65, a 21-year-old male, 50% chance of how long he was going to live. So basically, at 60, you had a few more years, you, you know, were with your family, you know, got your retirement party, but within five years, you were dead that's not the case now. We've got, you know, we have uh, many, many more years out there, and our institutions are not responding to the new reality, because we're not having the the kind of conversation that we need to be having now. And I'm, uh, my thinking was that we can start with a small group of us.
0: Elizabeth, I hate to do this, but we are flat out of time, and I'm, I'm really sorry we could go on for another hour or two, and maybe we have to have you back if we can work that out.
1: And so fast. Well, it it does go fast, but we appreciate, you know, I think this is an important conversation, and two-thirds of 70 million baby boomers are actually in this situation. So thank you so much for bringing your story to us today.
0: Appreciate it.
2: No, thank you for having me.
0: Okay, you take care.
1: All right. Her book, 55 Unemployed
0: and Faking Normal, available on Amazon. Kindle, and paperback. 9.30 a.m. The answer is where we are. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel, and moi caregiving is stressful challenging often frustrating but it can be rewarding learn about caregiving while helping yourself at the 2018 San Antonio Caregiver Summit Navigating the Journey brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation hear from a panel of experts too on navigating the end of life journey Summit is on November 1st 8.30am to 2pm at the Whitley Theological Center on Oblate Drive social work and nursing CEUs available the event is free including lunch pre-registration required call 866-390-6491 We're delighted to have you with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of each and every one of our programs, we bring you Take 10, where we talk about an interesting issue that uh, may require some kind of intervention. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, a psychotherapist known widely for his work with addictions and uh, dealing with caregivers, and Carol Zernial, our co-host here on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, and Carol, you've got a pretty good idea to uh, throw to Jamie.
1: Well, what a lot of people don't know is that Jamie also does some government affairs work um, for WellMed, um, and just keeping his eye on what's going on. And so, Jamie, you know, there's so—it's a roller coaster ride with all the politics right now, but some of that— um, hysteria that is going on all over the place can actually take our focus away from things that are really important that those of us who advocate for, for caregivers and for older folks, um, you know, we, we may lose sight of because we're, we're drawn all over the map. So if, if I was going to ask you to walk into an elected official's office and talk to him on behalf of caregivers, what are the kinds of things that we really need to keep our eye on?
3: Obviously, we have to keep our eye on our own self-care. That's an obvious in this government affairs world, and if you will, even the digital world. Carol, um, we're assaulted with an endless amount of of data. Um, caregivers themselves will will be alone or isolated with their loved one, and they'll put on CNN or Fox or MSNBC, and they'll be just overwhelmed, overwhelmed. And when every time we're overwhelmed, and uh, and, and, and defocus. It, it usually creates this chaos in us that we're out of control, and it's so important for us to to remain in control of ourselves. That's what I would say most importantly. If I was to talk to actually government officials, I would ask them not to fill up the twenty-four hour news cycle with this absolute kind of despairing news that they continue to do, and 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 if you will, have some happy solution-based sort of things that we're going to watch tv for us to absorb
1: so and some of that might be just showing you know normal families real people um you're right you know there's a lot on the news that is that is really does cause a lot of anxiety uh, and for those people who already feel out of control because they're involved in caregiving, um, it, c- it can exacerbate that, that feeling of I'm falling off a cliff and there's nobody's going to catch me.
0: But from a guy who spent a lot of years in broadcasting and still do, uh, there have been some stations around the country who have tried to bring happy news, good news, upbeat news. You and know it, what happens? They don't. They lose Nobody, viewers. nobody, nobody, nobody watches.
1: Nobody cares. So why, why would we be more interested in the bad, the bad news and the sensationalist news?
3: Well, in my past, you know, I worked in talk, court, and reality TV, and the adage was it's always easier to look at somebody else's life and their chaos than to concentrate on our own. And there's also a quotation I remember that says, Wherever you put the mind, the body will follow. So um, for us, it's a fascination, obviously, of, of others. It takes us away from being focused and mindful and positive about how to use our own innate resources and and how to take care of ourselves it's 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 beyond eye candy it's almost like nova king it just it just desensitizes us and allows us to 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 become mindless as opposed to mindful and that just happens so often when we're caregivers and are left to our own device to take care of a loved
0: one and then you turn the tv on and the word of art is if it bleeds it leads and so Every station and every market is bringing you the awful stuff that happens to people. And there you are in a caregiving situation. You get a few minutes, you turn on the TV, the care recipient is sound asleep, and what you see is just as bad as the world you're in.
3: Oh, you're so right, Ron. And, and you know, with boomers and seniors' sleep, I can testify to this myself, Is such a huge issue, and when we wake up in the middle of the night, and, and can't go back to sleep and all of a sudden turn on one of these, you know, insane sort of news cycles. And I say insane news cycles because everybody from the president to Congress to the judicial are all on board that they have to fill this news cycle with this endless amount of sort of stories. And so we become like a pawns, and, and so if we can't sleep at night, you can bet we're going to turn on something that we think is mindless. But is actually making us much more agitated and much more affecting our evening life our lack of sleep, and when we wake up, if you will our daily lives
1: well you know i I become concerned because we're not hearing about you know some of the smaller issues um, that are so loom so large in the lives of our caregivers you know we, we don't talk about uh, the lack of a long-term care system that's comprehensive. You know, you hear threats to to cuts to giant spending programs, but you don't hear what's at the other end of the line on those or what would replace those. So, you know, is it your experience that um, it's just not sexy to talk about long-term care and old people? I mean, is this ageism that infiltrates not only the government, but the media as well?
3: I surely agree with you. I think it's ageism, number one. But I also go back to the Ron Aaron theory that it believes that leads, and he's 100% correct. The only reason uh, you have talk and reality shows that proliferate is because they really take us away from those extraordinarily meaningful stories that you're describing, Carol, that were so necessary. I'm sure there's nobody better than Ron who can take us back before the facts, before the digital media came to hit us, before Twitter and Facebook and social media has assaulted us. And, and Ron, you yourself could probably give the caregivers and the audience an extremely cool timeline of how we got to this particular
0: place. Well, we got here in, in a couple of different ways, uh, but all heading in the same direction. Uh, one is, as competition uh, among news outlets grew uh, once CNN launched, 24-hour news, and then along came MSNBC and Fox and, and, and others. The competition was so incredible, uh, they kept looking for stories that would attract and hold an audience, and that had a repetitive value and a follow-up value. So in, in recent days, we've seen an example of a story that turned out uh, to be a really good news story. Those uh, so- uh, Thai soccer players trapped in a cave uh, with their coach it started out to be a story about, will they make it? Are they going to make it? It looks like they won't. How do we get them out? And that story ran uh, on all of the uh, news stations in every news cycle. Uh, and then if you go back far enough, you, you get some of the uh, uh, cheap-to-produce reality TV programs. Uh, you think of Maury Povich, and you think of the shows that uh, simply put the worst of society on display. And what happened? We loved it. Even some of the uh, uh, channels that, uh, you know, you wouldn't think would engage in this. Uh, but but if you watch, for example, how many of you have tuned into Bridezilla, which shows the worst and angry uh, uh, examples of brides who go crazy buying a dress, ordering food. Uh, and those shows get incredible ratings because we love being I've voyeurs. i never even
1: heard of Bridezilla. It now you're going to watch dreadful. it. You're going to watch it no, now. No, produ-
3: I know the producers of, the, of that show, actually, and you're 100% right when they search. But to Carol's point, Carol, you're right. And, and you know, the, this issue of the, of the kids in the caves in, in, in Thailand, this is huge. But to your point, I mean, we are affected hugely by ageism and sexism in our coverage. I mean, New York and Los Angeles... Are really driving the media message there's nobody that's more tuned to that actually than our current executive administration. I mean President Trump obviously is is brilliant in terms of reality TV. He knew for fourteen years what drove ratings, and it wasn't age you know ageism. it wasn't the caregiver stories. It wasn't those important long term care stories that you're talking about. And so you know to your point, I think we do suffer hugely from ageism in terms of our culture, our media. Uh, what what we see on TV
0: that's because we don't let women grow old on television locally we oh, let men we let men do that but we don't let women in fact, a local TV station in San Antonio just let go a, a woman who'd been there for decades anchoring the morning news and the noon news uh, fired. why? Well, you're getting a little old in the tooth here.
3: No, I, I put sexism and racism, I and excuse me, and ageism, yeah. all and racism to that point, all together. In, when it comes to to the, the the things we choose, it's it's really a tragic situation.
0: So, how do you bring caregiving up to a legislator who could care less?
3: I had thought, and this is just me speaking, that we could create a cool reality show about caregiving. Obviously, if you can't beat them, join them. And nobody's really put together, and it, would be, it wouldn't be, be on network TV, but it would be on a National Geography or or an off, you know. Animal Planet. <laughs> or, yeah, or, or Discovery. <laughs> All right, now hold but that
0: thought because we have... we're, we're out of time. We'll pick this up again, and I think you've got a really good idea there, Dr. That's Jamie. That's
1: right, Real, Caregiving Reality TV. I, there's something like. there. Thank you. What it's
0: like. Bingo. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Carol. I'm Ron you Aaron. Bet. This is Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net and join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS
3: On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.